0: Well, if you would, turn with me in an orderly fashion to 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 26 through 40. Now, when I walked in this evening, I commented about how orderly and quiet we were, but I want you to imagine a much different scene. Imagine you had walked into our worship service tonight, and people were all talking at the same time, falling on the floor, doing all kinds of different things, Speaking in languages that perhaps you did not know, prophesying and doing things that seem to be foreign to our experience as what we often call frozen, chosen Presbyterians. Chaotic worship with no structure or order—that is the scene in some churches, not just now, but even in the days of Corinth, when Paul wrote these letters to the these two letters, First and Second Corinthians to that church he is addressing an assembly which on the one hand has the wonders of the grace of Jesus Christ but on the other hand is confused divided and in disorder even in their worship this context is in worship What do we do in worship and how does it please God and build up the church? Follow along as I read the conclusion of chapter 14 beginning at verse 26. Remember, he has just been speaking about the the necessity to desire prophecy over tongues and particularly uh, to uh, understand the importance of building up the church. What then, brothers... When you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. If any speak in a tongue, let there be only two or at most three, and each in turn, and let someone interpret. But if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in the church and speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak, and let the others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. For you can all prophesy, one by one, so that all may learn and all may be encouraged. And the spirits of prophets are subject to prophets. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. As in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak but should be in submission, as the law also says. If there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. Or was it from you that the word of God came? Or are you the only ones it has reached? If anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I am writing to you are a command of the Lord. If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. So, my brothers, earnestly desire to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but all things should be done decently and in order. As we do things decently and in order, let us pray to the Lord to ask him to help us to understand what it means to do things decently and in order. Let's bow in prayer. Father, as we consider this your word, as we consider both the easy and the hard teachings, the clear and the difficult, we pray that your spirit would be upon us, that we might understand, we might apply this word to our lives, both as individuals and as the church, and that we might rejoice in the precious promises that are contained therein. Help us, Lord, to know you better and to serve you more. In Jesus' name. Well, as I mentioned in the announcements, we do have a construction project that will be going on for a couple months. I want you to imagine the scene if all the different crews on the first day of the construction project showed up at once to do their work. Now, there's one crew that was sent to be the demolishing crew, and they were demolishing. There was another crew that's already come to work on the electric, another crew that was coming to cut into brick and concrete, There are other crews that will come to build up the drywall and to work on the windows and to do all kinds of different things with the floors and the walls and the ceilings and everything else. But imagine all those crews came at the same time to begin their work on the same day at the same hour. Now, you can't demolish a wall and put up drywall at the same time. Just the noise from the machines, particularly the concrete cutting machine, would be enough to stop the work of some of the other crews. Now, this is ludicrous, we know. But it reminds us that order is very important. All these crews and all the individuals within these crews have their specialties. And without order and without some decent order in order to accomplish the task, there would be no solid finished product, would there? Well, this is what God is doing in the church. He is building the church and he has gifted every person in that church but it's according not to their order but his order and purpose that makes it work. Now there was chaos in Corinth but this chaos was being rebuked by Paul in order to point all of the church to the need to build up And of course, as we see the context of this particular chapter, to point us to the great chapter 15, the chapter about Christ raised from the dead. So in other words, he's saying in worship, as these gifts in that context were used, even at that time, some of the ecstatic or some of the uh, powerful gifts of the early church, he is reminding them of these truths. First of all, The edification is the goal of all things in worship. Edification or building up. Secondly, he goes with this controversial thing for today's egalitarian minds in the 21st century America. The silence of women in worship. And finally, to remind all of the church the things he has taught regarding tongues and prophecies and women and everything else up to this point in his letter is a command from the lord first of all reminder that edification is the goal of all things in this context of worship notice what the context is verses 24 and 25 reminded us of what prophecy could have done to the early church it says if all prophesy and an unbeliever or outsider enters he is convicted by all He is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed, and so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. The context here is one of worship, both the worship of those who see the wonders of God's word and the worship of God's body on a regular basis. And so then he asks this question, what then, brothers... In other words, with all that has taken place, what do we say about the every week thing that we call worship? He says, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. But here is the guiding rule. Let all things be done for building I want to look briefly at just some of these elements or common elements of worship at the Corinthian church. Now, some of these elements aren't necessarily the elements we will have because evidently, as we see that Paul has prophesied in chapter 13, some of these gifts have ceased, the gift of tongues, the gifts of prophecy, and so forth, prophesied in that great love chapter in chapter 13 that some have ceased. But in essence, these are some of the gifts or some of the elements that will be used in a worship service. They're not exhaustive. You might notice that prayer is not mentioned and it will be mentioned in other places even in, to the, in the Corinthian letters. There are other things as well. But here's the list that he gives. First of all, hymns. Now it's interesting. This word hymn is actually the word psalm. It is a reminder that they are coming with perhaps a portion of scripture to be sung to the assembly, it's possible that this word could also describe someone who has written a song to present to the church. And so therefore, they are using the gifts and talents God has given them, both with being able to be musically apt, as well as able to present music or a hymn or psalm to the church. And of course, what is the purpose The purpose is to build up the church. The purpose is not to display a concert or entertainment value or to have the best music that was actually possible in that day. The purpose was for it to build up the church. It was to edify them. Therefore, we know that it wasn't just the music. It wasn't just the gift of the singer or the musician. It was actually the content of that psalm or hymn that was to build up the people. The second element were lessons or teachings. In fact, there is a document outside of scripture that has the same Greek word called didache, and that document means teaching or lesson. It's a reminder that different people had the gift of teaching in the church, and so therefore there might in their worship service be different individuals who would come with a teaching. Maybe they would have prepared it beforehand. Maybe it was something in which they were uh, inspired to think of these things on the way to the worship service. We get the idea that this particular type of worship was a little bit more unstructured than ours is. And these teachings would take place again. What is the purpose? Was the purpose to show the gift of the teacher? Was the purpose in order to display wisdom and knowledge? The purpose was to build up. The church. Thirdly, revelations. Now I've included this a little bit after the tongue section. But he says here a revelation and it describes what a revelation is in verses 29 through 32. A revelation has to do with prophecy. When a prophet prophesies, he is giving something that is revealed to the church. The technical term here is apocalypse. He's giving an apocalypse or a revelation, something that is disclosed to the people of God. And here it is. In verse 29, it says, In this case, let two or three prophets speak, and let the others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent, for you can all prophesy one by one, so that all may learn and be encouraged. So what is it about revelations and prophecy that is so important Well, again, he gives some guidelines and rules for how prophets would work, how these revelations would take place. There's to be a limited number, just two or three. Now, we can speculate as to why that number is limited. Maybe it's because they didn't want someone falling asleep and falling out the window. Maybe it's that. Uh, certain individuals tended to expostulate in a very lengthy fashion and there wasn't time for more. I don't know. Or maybe it was just so that that part of the worship service would not overwhelm the rest of the worship service. And so here it is, two or three, a limited number. Secondly, he says this, they are to distinguish or weigh what is said. In other words, they are to be discerning, We mentioned this a little bit this morning in that the Bereans were described as a noble church because they looked in the scriptures to see if what Paul was teaching was true. In other words, it's the job of the entire church, not just the officers, the elders, or the pastors to listen to the teaching and the prophets of the church, but it's the job of everyone in the church to discern or distinguish what is being said so that they could judge the truth of it particularly and compared to other scriptures thirdly they are to do it one at a time in other words we're not to have two prophets going at once giving different revelations We want everyone to hear a revelation because in this context, revelations, these prophecies were new word from God, but it was God's word. It was inspired by the Holy Spirit with the entire authority and weight of God's word upon it. And so therefore, they are one at a time, but there's a priority to the new. Notice what it says, one of them might be prophesying, but one of them... As he's sitting there, might be given a new revelation, and the first one should be silent in that case. There's even a priority or order to the way in which prophecy was given. But what is the purpose of these revelations? Not only was it to build up the church, but the two specific purposes are given here. The first purpose is this. It says here that they may learn. In other words, the purpose is learning, and secondly, exhortation or encouragement. This is the word here for the Holy Spirit being a comforter or an encourager. The word here is technically to exhort, and of course exhorting can mean anything from giving encouragement to even condemning or rebuking. It is an In basically a nutshell, it is telling us that this prophecy is on the one hand so that we can learn the wonders of God's word, but on the other hand, that we would be exhorted, that we would be exhorted to hear it, to follow it, to be rebuked and corrected and trained by it, because after all, this was the word of God. Sometimes before, uh, in this context, before uh, the whole corpus of the New Testament was written. Finally, the other rule for revelations is this. He says the spirits of prophets are subject to the prophets. Now what does he mean by that? He means this. If someone claims to be prophesying but is not saying things consistent with other prophecies or other prophets recognize that what he is saying is not true, then these prophets are false. So what is he saying about all of this in Revelations? Again, here is the context of this particular teaching is is in this. Prophecies were important because they didn't have the whole New Testament yet. They were still being given the truths of God's word all of the things that we would have contained in our scriptures. And so because of this, these revelations were to build up the church in their learning and their understanding and build them up in an orderly fashion so that they would be exhorted to know God's will and to follow it. This was to build up the church in prophecy or revelations, as it says. The fourth thing that is described in this list of elements to service after hymns, lessons, and revelations is tongues. Paul's already had a lot to say about tongues. He said they're not the most important or higher gift. He says that they are not necessarily the thing that will inspire unbelievers to come to the Lord Jesus Christ in faith. He also says this is a sign not of believers in the church. This is actually a sign condemning the unbelievers within the body of Christ. But here he says is how tongues could be used in their day. Again, the limited number, two or three. I have to say being in a place where I was speaking in a tongue, in English, in a place where they spoke Latvian, I can understand if you had two or three different languages being spoken at the same time then it would be hard to understand anything. And if you had different speakers who were speaking in different languages and you had to wait the interpretation throughout the worship service, it could be kind of heavy. Here he says the limited number two or three. Again, one at a time. Not all together, not all at once. That there would be chaos. And then he says this. He says, if there is no one to interpret, this is verse 28, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. Without interpretation or translation, silence the tongue. And of course, the fifth element that's described here is in connection with tongues, interpretations. Now it's interesting, as we look at all of these, hymns, teachings, revelations, tongues, interpretations, he sums up this portion of the worship service direction by saying in verse 33, for God is not a God of confusion, the word is disorder, but of peace. Now why is he saying all this? He's saying all this because there was evidently a tendency in the Corinthian church to have these ecstatic gifts all being done at once, and there was perhaps an understanding or an idea that these who had these particular gifts, particularly tongues and prophecy and so forth, could hardly control the ability to get it out, and so they were ecstatically exhibiting these gifts in such a way that someone would come into the service, people would be speaking all at once, different people would be prophesying or speaking at tongues all at the same time, and those speaking in tongues would not have an interpreter so that no one could understand it. It was chaos, No one could figure out what was being said or what was being done. But the interesting thing is, first of all, Paul is correcting the idea that they could not control their gifts. When he tells them, two or three at a time, one could stop while the other spoke, or one who didn't have an interpreter with him but spoke in tongues was to be silent. It was a reminder that all of these gifts that God gives in the spirit are gifts that can be controlled by the speaker. And then when he says, God is not a God of disorder, but of peace, he's reminding us that God wants us to learn and to grow and to be built up. These gifts were not for the purpose of showing the power of God in the assembly of worship, but these gifts were to be used so that the church could learn and could grow. I have to say, when I think of chaos, I think of offices. What I mean is, a pastor's study, or an office, or something like that, I tend to think there are three types of offices or studies among leaders. One is the chaotic office of an unorganized mess. You walk in, and there's just a mess everywhere. Mess all over the desk, mess all over the bookshelves, mess in all of the in-and-out boxes or the cabinets or whatever's in that place. The second office is like this. It is orderly and uber-organized and pristine so that you're practically afraid to touch or move anything. If you put something on the desk, you wonder if it's allowed to be there. And if you put something on the bookshelf, you, you, you look first to make sure it's in exactly the right place. The third study is like this. Organized chaos there is a mess, apparently, but, but evidently you know that the person in the office or the study actually knows where things are, and it's organized in such a fashion that that particular individual can find what he's looking for in the chaos. In one sense, it looks chaotic, but under the scenes, it's actually organized and in order. Now, why am I saying all this? Because I think this is the visual representation, first of sinners. What God had put into order, sinners put into chaos. If our office is an unorganized mess and we can't find anything or do anything, this is the representation of sinners who do not care if they are glorifying God or building up the church. The second office, the one that is orderly, uber-organized, with pristine quality, and strikes fear in those who would bring new items into that office, is the representation of God. God is holy without sin. And he is completely organized. As it said in Jeremiah 31, even his new covenant is based on the fixed order of creation. God has been ordered from before our sense of time began. But the third, this organized chaos, an order in the mess you see... It probably describes my study as much as anybody's. It looks like a mess, but I usually know where things are. This is the church. You see, in the midst of the chaos of our sin, and we are in chaos still, because the church is made up of sinners, If anyone would tell you otherwise, let me remind you that you all sitting here are not sitting here because you are perfect. You are not sitting here because you've earned your way to salvation. You're not sitting here because you have everything in your life in order. You are a mess because you are a sinner. But God, by his grace, if you have trusted in him, has redeemed you and has begun to put order back within your life and within your, your, your situation that you're in, and within this body. And even though we still seem to be chaotic sometime, underneath the seams, God knows where everybody is. God knows the gifts he's given the church, and he desires for us to exhibit those gifts in wor- worship in an orderly fashion. You see, God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. Then Paul turns to perhaps one of the more controversial things of 21st century America, and that is the silence of women. He says, As in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law also says. If there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. Now people look at that particular passage and they say, But... But, pastor, you know that in chapter 11 it said that all kinds of people, even women, could prophesy and they have to keep their head covered when they do so. How can now, he say, they have to keep silent? Well, here is the teaching. First of all, silent submission according to the law. Now, it's interesting, Paul doesn't say where in the law this is based We tend to think this is probably Genesis 3.16 where it says and reminds us that part of the discipline of the woman in the garden was that the man would rule over her or her desire would rule over her. There is also created order. Paul uses elsewhere the understanding that man was created first and then woman and not vice versa. And there is some order to that. But the teaching here is silent submission in the context of worship in the church, according to the law. The second part of this is a reminder that Paul is not telling them the woman doesn't have a place or a responsibility or duty in the worship service. Learning is certainly not forbidden. And lest we forget, the historical context when these words were written Suggest that this was a radical teaching of their time because women were not usually taught anything in the Corinthian or the largely Roman society. There were some women who gained wealth and influence and who, living under those conditions, might have gotten some education, but for the most part, by and large, women were treated as if there was no place or purpose for them to be educated or to learn. But Christians were different. Women were supposed to learn. Jesus even told Martha that Mary had the better idea when she was learning at his feet rather than serving in the kitchen. Learning is important. But here is the description of how Paul says that should take place. Evidently, they should listen during the worship service, but ask your husbands at home where it is shameful for women to speak at church controversial what do we do in a society that is largely egalitarian that is looking at the idea that there's no difference between men and women how dare we suggest there might be one in fact here there are claims that Paul is a misogynist that he hates women what are the interpretations of this passage under these circumstances here are some of the variations one That this was just a cultural situation in Corinth and was not to be duplicated elsewhere. Two, that there were evidently problems in the Corinthian church with women speaking or interrupting the speakers and Paul had to do something about it, and here's what he did. Three, that Paul is misogynistic. He really doesn't like women, doesn't know what to deal with them. After all, he wasn't married, was he? Four, these verses weren't really Pauline. There are some who would say, there is evidence to suggest that these couple of verses are actually added in later and weren't really from Paul. That's trying to avoid the problem, isn't it? The best I've seen is this. I think that in chapter 11, Paul is describing the church in general, informal or formal, in any gathering that they might have had together. By the time we get to verse or chapter 14, he's speaking of the particular thing that we call Worship and worship in particular, as a duty that the church has before God. And one of the central things that they do together as a church has rules in it. Some of them we don't understand. Why is it, for instance, that God said that only people carrying the ark were acceptable and transporting that item in the worship structure so that Uzzah would be struck down? Why couldn't they carry it in a cart? I don't This is one of those places. Worship is a vital activity of the church, and the created order suggests some importance to this limitation. Because God created men to lead the people, not because they were more gifted, more qualified, or more talented. I've known women that are better speakers than me. I've known women that are smarter and more intelligent than me. I know women that are better educated than me, better administrators than me, and all of those things... But for God's purposes, he has called men to lead in the worship service. And therefore, he has order in this way. Why does he silence women? I don't know the mind of God. But I do know that God has given us rules and directions for the building up of the church, so that all of us might grow in our walk with him, both men and women as well as children, so that we might all be built up in the worship experience. We should not kick against that, but seek from God understanding of it. For after all, it is a command from the Lord. Evidently, those in Corinth asked those questions too. Perhaps some of them felt liberated from the bondage of the rules and structures of their culture and society. And they felt it was wonderful to be free to learn and understand the wisdom of God as women. And some of them probably were asking, Paul, what are you talking about? It doesn't seem fair, just as those in our society would do. And so he asked this question, or was it from you that the word of God came? Or are you the only ones it has reached If anyone thinks he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I am writing to you are a command of the Lord. In other words, he's reminding them, this is God's word. We might have different ideas or understandings or interpretations of it. This is a matter that is not a matter of our salvation. If we don't understand or follow these things directly or or perfectly, then it may not keep us from the kingdom of heaven, but it's still God's word we should work to understand it and to obey it he says true prophets and those who are spiritual should acknowledge paul in his teaching even on these controversial subjects as a prophet of god those who are ignorant that is if anyone does not recognize this the word is those who are ignorant he is not recognized in fact there's an indication here in the original language that they're just going to remain ignorant. In other words, in certain circumstances, when someone will not lift up the word of God as the word of God, they will not even know that they are doing this, and they will remain that way unless God intervenes in their lives. So what should we do? My brothers, he says, earnestly desire to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues. In their context, in their day, with all of the gifts still in play, he says, desire prophecy. Why desire prophecy? Because it's revealing the revelations of God for the building up of the church clearly in such a way, as he has said already, that the uh, the secrets of the hearts are disclosed and those would fall on their face who are convicted of sin and worship God. He also says, don't forbid tongues. Why? Because it's a God-given gift even though it wasn't the most wonderful gift, even though it was a gift that had to be accompanied, accompanied with interpretation or it was useless, even though it was one of those gifts that would cease in time, yet in their time and context, he says, all the gifts of the church are important. So then he says, but all things should be done decently and in order. One of the things that I thought was interesting about this particular command and trying to understand why does God want women to be silent in the church and all those things, I came to Naaman the Syrian. Perhaps you remember his story. He comes to the king of Israel and he says, uh, he basically says, I want you to heal me of leprosy. And the king begins to tear out his hair in part because he's a wicked king. He has no relationship with God, does not trust the power of God to heal people. And yet there's someone in his household who says, well, send him to the prophet. Send him to the prophet and he perhaps can be healed by God. And so they do. They send him to the prophet. And the prophet is instructed by God to tell Naaman to wash in the Jordan River seven times and you will be healed. Naaman looks at that prophet and he says, well, why would I do that? I've got plenty of water back in Syria. Why would I want to wash in the Jordan? And, and I'm thinking, I guess, my guess is he's thinking to himself, why seven times? Why go through all this and he's about to leave? And he's about to say, this is ridiculous, I don't understand why you would command such a thing. The man has leprosy and he, he's evidently not willing to try this little thing. And the, one of his servants says, why don't you just try it? It can't hurt in essence. And Naaman washes in the water. And lo and behold, as he washes in the Jordan River seven times with this bizarre way of being healed, he realizes this command was for him. You see, just because we don't understand the command, or even like it, does not give us reason to throw it out. If God has given us this in his word, it's for our good. Now I have to say, When we say all things should be done decently and in order, the word decently can mean gracefully or with propriety. But as a Presbyterian, I like this verse. We joke about it as Presbyterians. You see, as Presbyterians, we have an order of service we put in your bulletin. We have a book of church order to advise us on the ministry of the church. There is order in our boards and committees There is Robert's rules of order that guide our meetings. But all this aside, God is a God of order and not disorder. Both words are in this context. He already says, verse 33, God is not a God of disorder. And then he says, in verse 40, all things should be done decently and in order. You see, all in worship, all things, are for edification, encouragement, and exhortation. All of these do what? They build up the church in the purpose of God doing this so that he will point us to his son Jesus Christ so that all these differences, all these debates, all these matters that are unclear in Christ will be made not so unclear but will be made the wonders of a Christ who has been raised from the dead, who has saved us from our sins and in reality continues to cause us to grow in grace as he makes us his disciples in repentance and faith. Let us pray. Father, it is hard to do things decently and in order, especially when we don't understand all the reasons behind it. But father, like children to a father, you are teaching us and you are molding us to encourage us strengthen us, to comfort us, that in the end we might trust in you and you alone for salvation and all its benefits. Lord, help us to do these things decently and in order. In Jesus' name.